Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra feral edition of Thrash and Treasure, the torture chamber musical comedy podcast that danced with the Rat Pack in front of the devil in tight leather pants. And speaking of packing, thank you. <laughs> and speaking of the devil, no, you're Aaron. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm Aaron, <laughs> and I'm joined as usual by the demon slayer who put the Hellstone in Hellston. It's Mr. J Wags. How's it going? Things are amazing. How are you doing, Aaron? Yeah, good. Apparently hearing voices. <laughs> it's easy to do uh, in, a, in an international podcast, as we are, of course. Yes, that's it. We are. World's only internal metal and Broadway podcast, I believe. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I tell you what, some introductions I can only do with you because the other two just don't get them. The other two did not get the stupidity. Aggressive stupidity is my brand, Meg. You will figure this out very fast. Stupidity is your brand? Oh, man. Dumb jokes for smart people is sort of my jam. Like, yeah. <laughs> And that's what this show is all about. I love that. Anyways, guess what? What? We've got a truly legendary thrashing yet treasure diva on the main stage tonight. So tighten those leather pants because we're about to break the sound barrier with this Pinoy prince of the damned who la 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 bumpered his way into the original Australian cast of Buddy, the Buddy Holly story as teen idol Richie Valens. But he then swapped the plane for a car too soon and took the T-Birds for a few spins in Greece, the mega musical Arena Spectacular, which saw him play to every mulleted bogan and their eight kids in arenas across Australia. But after gaining the travel bug, he left 1950s Illinois, crossed the bridges of Madison County, and created his own West Side Story in 1950s New York City to enroll as a student at today's chosen famed school until tuition fees left him unable to afford the rent in Sydney, Melbourne, and London. But luckily, he was never fully dressed without a smile and soon found himself on Easy Street in New Zealand with Honey. So whilst we're jet-setting around the world with this astounding angel punk and raging queen fan, Puerto Porbang Amada Nung huge Aussie g'day and a Kumusta Porcao to this ace grand slammer who's always serving it as only one of the greatest tennis of rock can. And screaming fans of all ages, even 45, love this king of the court. So let's make a racket and rock the boat straight into Rock Rap City if you can handle this rock messiah whose jukebox is bursting with all the hits. So I'm starting with this man in the Thriller live, burn the floor, we will rock you rock of ages, and if you think I'm all out of love, you'd be wrong. I'm all out of breath. So please give Randy Badass and the Slick Master five minutes in Lovetown to fill it up so we can be united as one more than ever as we welcome to the torture chamber this rock star in excess of any we've seen before after runnering up in rock star in excess. Oh wait, I just did that one. Plus his iconic role in the cult favorite Aussie kid show, The Ferals. Ferals? Ferals? You're joking. No, really, you're joking. Whoa, you're kidding me. Well then, at least this multidimensional artiste will feel right at home with us feral puppets as he prepares for Curtains Up on Choices, a rock opera, where he plays the all-important role of singer. So to celebrate, today we shall call him Guest, even though he has one hell of a voice which can lift us up to the heavens, and I haven't even mentioned his pelvic thrusts, which will exercise your demons, because he's the fair dink and fully sick Mr. Mig ASA. Yay! Welcome to the torture chamber. How are you going? Oh my gosh, that that was the best in introduction i have ever had in the history of mig that was phenomenal wow 
I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to slip, make, do that in slow motion and, and transcribe that. Thank you for that. It's so great to be here. What a thrill! What a joy! What an honor! Thank you for having me. It is truly my honor to have you on the show. I watched The Ferals as a ten-year-old, <sighs> and then I saw Rent. Oh, Jonathan, you wouldn't. You would probably wouldn't miss that because uh, Jonathan, it, it, it was uh, it was an Australian TV series for kids. We're back in back in the day. I have been watching it for the past week, and I am here. Oh, you, ha- you, you it's all on YouTube. You do know all about it. You guys do your research, don't you? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> uh, yes. Also, uh, uh, me and my sister did go through uh, that point in the '80s where we loved everything Australian in America for like two summers. Like that was the thing. Yeah. Like the NXS Yahoo Serious summer. Remember, remember that summer? Yes. Yahoo Serious. Oh my gosh, that's a blast from the past. I completely have not used those two words together for decades crocodile dundee and we loved everything australian for like two years yeah <laughs> well you're you're a token aussie oi 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 nice one jonathan thank you uh too. I, I i have done a few cruise contracts so i feel like i have met my share of aussies and filipinos in my life oh. that's where i learned to galog <laughs> yes very much so it, it, i was just got off actually i just finished doing a little contract with the silver seas Probably 90, 95% Filipino there. So nice to represent the um, Filipino community. Best crew party of the year, hands down. Yeah. Everything like oh, karaoke yes. for sure. <laughs> and lots of chicken adobo. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, you're, you're going in and out for me, but it's mostly clay. Am I going in and out now? Um, a little bit, yeah. Am I cutting it out or is my mic technique just very bad? Probably your mic technique. It's soft. <laughs> 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 Beyond my mic. Anyways, we are off to a feral start, pretty much. <laughs> it's a five-hour pot. Anyways, okay. Anyways, yeah. So I'm I'm so wrapped. You watched the Ferals, Jonathan, because I used to watch that when I come home from school. And then obviously the next year there was Feral TV. Which did they write you out, or did you leave them? Or well, that was the problem. They wrote all the humans out because it was really expensive. It was really expensive to have a human and puppet interaction because every single scene um, with the human and puppet interaction, they had to cut, had to change the flooring and they had to make gullies for the puppeteers to walk through. So to create one episode, yeah, well, actually we created two episodes and it took three weeks to make two episodes. So to do that, it was just kind of really cost ineffective for the ABC at that point. And so they went, well, let's next, as much as we love the, the humans, they're out. <laughs> so it wasn't just me. It was me, Robbie, and Brian Rooney's character off. So that's showbiz. Yeah. We're all replaceable. <laughs> by puppets, by felt and foam. I know. <laughs> not, not just puppets. Forget AI, forget robotics. I got I got done by, by a rat. If you could pick any movie that already exists, replace the entire cast with Muppets, except for one celebrity. Showgirls. In the movie? <laughs> Okay, name the movie, uh, the celebrity, and the character they would play. And Aaron, you are, that was so wrong, but. I'm, I'm gonna go a little step further and not claim a movie. I'm gonna say, I wanna see the whole, every single season of Succession with Muppets. Okay. Yes. Who's, who's your one celebrity they play? Is it still Brian Cox? Is he just still there? <laughs> uh, no, no, it's the guy who plays the oldest brother. No, Siv, Siv, Siv is, no, no, wrong, wrong. The oldest brother's still there because Brian Cox will be played by one of either Waldo or Statler. Yep. <laughs> okay, or both of them in unison. Oh, oh God, both of them. <laughs> yes, like, like two heads. <laughs> um, and uh, I, want, I want Miss Piggy to play Siv, definitely. 
Another example I'm going to hell. I've never seen an episode of Succession. I'm so sorry, people. You need to. That is one of the reasons I'm glad the SAG strike is over. Most of all, is not because I wasn't working all that much in SAG, but because I get screeners again now. And I'm very yeah. happy about it. <laughs> oh, do you get drag race screeners? Anyway, sorry. That <laughs> <laughs> you are doing Chosen, a rock opera. So what can you tell our listeners about that? Uh, well, yeah, I, I am doing Choices. Choices, the rock opera. Hang on. What did I say? Chosen. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm so sidetracked at the moment. That's okay. Everything. Did you, do you want to ask the question one more time and yes. edit that in? Yes. Take two. Uh, yes. Anyways, we'll move on the show because we are running overtime already. Uh, now, Mig, you are doing Choices, a rock opera. What can you tell our listeners about that? And did I say it correctly? Because I say you're reacting. You did. Choices, <laughs> choices, a rock opera. Um, well, this is a, a brand new work written by a, a genius called John Krupa. And it's kind of autobiographical about him, his life in the music industry. He he got burnt really quickly with the music industry, having, you know, um, uh, record deals that have gone to one point, then completely fell through. And he kind of gave up on the whole music industry and made a choice to to follow his domestic life. And, and then there, it's like the ramifications of each choice. And maybe it's kind of like a sliding door situation. What would have happened if he had stayed um, in that rock and roll scene? What would have happened if he never gotten there? That kind of thing. And it's it's like the whole point of like we are the ramifications of our decisions and it's, it's basically based around the life of a rock and roll star or star from the 80s rock star from the 80s which is me and the choices that i make whether i follow my true love whether that be the true love of a woman or true love of my music career and at the end of the day these choices uh, that we make uh, sometimes are, are, have ramifications that are beyond our control so we cannot really say there's one choice better than the other life has a way of giving making these decisions for us uh, all we can do is just go with the flow and make the decisions depending on the situation at the time. But the music is really great. Uh, we are performing three performances of this in uh, upstate New York, November 24th, 25th and 26th. And I'm really excited about doing it because I love working actually. I love working on, on original brand new productions because you are the first person to create this role. You are creating the role. You're not actually drawing or pretending to be someone else or copying someone else's you know manner or whatever sometimes they do you know as you you both understand like following you know replacing someone they say okay now can you stand here and do this can you be more like james carpinello no i can't because i'm not james carpinello that kind of vibe okay so this is it's exciting for me to be able to do that and uh and create something new and it's a, i'm really excited about this piece um we are hope, hopefully being, being able to bring it to the next level we don't know at this stage um but you know that's the risk of putting on a new show and i'm just excited to be in this creative process right now so yeah still in rehearsals and uh getting close Where, where's it going up upstate at the emelin theater and memoronic memoronic I'm not really sure how you say that because I ain't from around here none. We are creating right until the word go. We're changing things as we're going on. We're adding, we're, you know, John's like, oh, I've got to write this a little bit. Oh, that doesn't make sense. Let me try this. Let me try that. At the moment, I think we're fairly much, we're solid with the, <laughs> with the script and with the music. I have just come back from a contract, so I need a bit of catch up with the rehearsing process, but uh, I love this whole process and uh, I'm working with some really great people and John Krupa's, his enthusiasm is so uh, uh 
uh, you know, uh, the, what's the word? Anyway, it is really cool the way that he is so enthusiastic about it. Yeah, it, it brings people in and brings makes people a visionary. It's cool. It's cool. It basically, you know, because if he's so enthusiastic and he's so he believes in it so much, you can't help but be caught up and swept up in his in his energy. So it's great. Fingers crossed, it likes to move to the next level. Yeah. Yes. And it's not uh, a jukebox musical. Yeah. And it's not a jukebox musical. It's all brand new stuff, you know, and everything is sung as being a rock opera. Um, it doesn't pull any punches. It really sort of just is kind of, I won't give it away, but there are some quite uh, dramatic moments that are quite, uh, ooh, can't believe that happened. Right. Twists and turns. All right. You can't tell us about the moments for spoilers, but it'll be a roller coaster of emotion. <laughs> yes. Yes. Be prepared. Be prepared for anything at that point. And so many choices. We cannot overestimate how many choices are made in this musical. Isn't that amazing? It's cool. The choices that we make every day in rehearsal. It's all about that. It's all about that. Well, and, and it also depends. Is it a single author musical? Is it just uh, John Krupa doing music book lyrics? Or is, uh, is it? Yes. So especially in that sort of case, a lot like if he's working music, sometimes it's like, hey, this scene, we're going to figure out how this scene's like going to work because that the one creative has to move around so much and be pulled in many different ways. So there's a lot of, uh, at least uh, when I've been in that situation, there's a lot of autonomy for the actors to sort of build the character and like build your own character suit because uh, you're the first one who gets to wear that character suit. Yeah, literally. And yeah, that's true. And he, what's wonderful about working with John is that he's also very open to suggestions like he he respects the people that he's working that's what he's working with and we're bringing in our you know our wealth of experience and um and expertise I guess you could say or just our our you know our life experiences and so we may suggest how about this how about that and he actually listens and he goes that's not a bad idea not a bad idea. let's try it and he we give it a go and he's very open to all that so he's not kind of like this is my baby stay away he's not precious like that at all he wants his show to just be the best it is and if it's a better suggestion he'll take it on which is really refreshing it's always nice to be an actor and not a meat puppet sometimes you know <laughs> Puppets. Don't say puppets. Don't say puppets. <laughs> We're going to have more puppet stuff because I, I was so charmed by the ferals. Oh, I, I tell you, no, I, I, let, me, let, let me say working with the ferals was one of the greatest parts of my career. I, just, I loved it and I'm very proud of that work. <laughs> That's the sort of show we grew up with in Australia, where they would smack each other over the head with a frying pan and call each other a bloomin' dimwit. That should explain why I am like I am today. <laughs> Because that's the sort of thing I grew up on. And that's, that should explain to you why I want to see Succession played by <laughs> the Muppets. We grew up with these twisted shows on Australian TV that were... We watch them now and we think they, they're not getting made today. No. That'll never um, pass the censors. No. No. I was a kid with cable and insomnia, so I caught a lot of weird stuff growing up. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Having said that, I mean, if you ever watch any sort of family guy, you know, I don't think Australia has the monopoly on out there. True. Or American Dad. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Or Itchy and Scratchy. Or <laughs> even SpongeBob SquarePants. I mean, that's some yeah. serious, serious mind-altering substances in that situation. I thought uh, a musical I saw actually ended up seeing three times during uh, its out-of-town run in town. Like, I was kind of shocked at how much I liked SpongeBob the musical and how, like, how affecting and emotional I thought the story ended up being. But yeah, that show completely overshot my expectations. I never saw that show. I had friends in it in Broadway, but they said it was really fantastic. And I'm, uh, I, if it goes on again, I'll definitely watch it because I've heard the same thing. I've heard a lot of people love that show. Who never even seen uh, the, the cartoon before. 
It was, uh, I mean, my parents who are both in their seventies, they were like coming out for a visit and they're like, well, we haven't seen like, we haven't seen what's up at the palace. And like it, SpongeBob, like, well, do we need to know the canon? And I'm like, it's not that kind of show. You don't need to know SpongeBob canon. Uh, and they're both <laughs> college professors and they like it. So, hey, Tina Landau grabbed something there. And one of the few musicals from Broadway based in Australia. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah. SpongeBob mm-hmm. was based in Really? Off the coast of Queensland. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, because they're all American. That's why. They don't sound Australian. It's like when, when you have a kangaroo in an American movie, they're always British or American. Why don't you ever cast an Australian, Hollywood? They are our animals. They sound like this. Anyway. Because all the Australians are playing the American parts, like Kate Blanchett and Jeffrey Rush. and yeah. <laughs> The Patriot. Remember that one? Starring Mel Gibson and Heath Ledger. Mel Gibson is American now. We just Oh, yes, him. that's right. That's right. Two Aussies and a German make a movie about the American Revolution. Moving on. We can talk about Well, like, uh, the first time I saw that was LA Confidential. How about that? With, uh, you know, Guy Pierce and Russell Crowe. Oh my goodness, that movie is perfect. But we, if we talk, about, if we just want to talk movies, this is going to be another five-hour pod. And we yeah, assume no. you have a better. Okay, all right. Sorry, I'm I'm hijacking your, your agenda. I know. How dare we hijack this lovely conversation with a podcast? I'm in the driver's seat now. When was the last time you tried shattering a wine glass with those killer pipes, Mig? Because oh my goodness gracious me. <laughs> Oh, mate, that was, that's very kind of you to say that. I've sh- actually, I've shattered many glasses. I did it on my ship the other day. Nice. You, you are the first. Not with my voice. Oh, okay, not with the voice. With my stupid big elbow. Okay. <laughs> on a cruise ship, you just, you, you're you going to lose at least six glasses per contract. It just happens. It's, you're on sea. <laughs> True. Hey, I was a piano player. Try playing a piano in rough seas that's on wheels. That's fun. <laughs> wow. You were a piano player? Yeah, I did two contracts with Norwegian uh, with Second City. I was their piano player. Oh, wonderful! I did. I I, I also did um, two contracts uh, in the in, with Norwegian in the uh, the uh, Howl at the Sea, Howl at the Moon, the dueling pianos, right? Uh, no, Second City is a it's a comedy theater, and on our contract, we split the Howl at the yeah. theater. We were the comedy team that split it with the piano players. That was us. Yeah. Oh, you're you're with Second City. Yep. Wow, that's super cool. Super cool. Wow, we have a lot to talk about. Second City in New York is starting up in September. Uh, not September. Uh, wait a second. It was supposed to start in September. It's now starting in January, but I'll be music directing and composing there in the new year. That's my new. Oh, wow. Oh, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, we'll talk about this later. Yes. Connect. All right. Uh, all right. So we know you're already a rock star, but if you could go completely overboard and pick your like over the top rock star rider, what are the things that are in that rider? Whatever you want. It's just like we're playing it. It, it We can get it for you wholesale. What do you need? Oh, my gosh. Well, for me, oh, <laughs> I can't even say this one. No, um, <laughs> yeah, that would be illegal. Um, no, that's good. That's what we want. That would also be illegal. We are loving all of these answers. These are all correct. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but I can't actually admit to all those. On, on, but <laughs> yep. um, it would be definitely, and I probably would never make it on stage. So let's not call that. As long as I have my share of Red Bull. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. But I definitely want, I definitely want a masseuse backstage. Yep got to happen before and after red bull and masseuse i just don't think of those things as going together <laughs> oh trust me it does <laughs> well before we get cancelled we'll move on <laughs> all right <laughs> 
Because we normally ask uh, our guests what experience they have with metal, but your resume is your resume. So if you could start a super group with any other heavy metal musicians, who would be in your band backing you up? Living or dead, in their peak, whenever you want to work. Oh, my God. Like any point in time. Oh, okay. oh God. I mean, I I think it, it would have to. Oh, God. Jimmy Page. Oh. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't think there's anything he can't sing. And that would be really awesome. Or, um, yeah, I would, you know what? I want to hear John Lennon in a metal band. I think the Liverpool accent might come across a little more punk, but yeah, I could definitely hear like a bunch of that, like a little bit of the sleep. You know what I mean? Purely because I think he would, he would make it his own and his, like his, yeah, his gruntles and his rasp is, is quite legendary. He was one of the, the pioneers of that. And uh, to have it, you know, done by John Lennon as well, like, that's a good person to have in your band. Yeah. Who's in your band? Oh, a beetle. I'm hearing I'm the walrus now with like like uber distortion, and I kind of like it. I am the Eggman. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun, we are the Eggman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's it. yeah. Exactly. You're that voice in my head, Jonathan. <laughs> that's not the devil. That's been you. <laughs> I do voiceover and send it to you. And your- uh, what drummer would I use? Yeah. I'd use uh, Rob Fuso from Skid Row. Ooh, okay. That's kind of a left field pick. Uh, just is it a friend you've worked with before or just like just a fan of Skid Row? I actually work work with him um, quite a bit and uh, he's still metal. He's still metal. He's hardcore and uh, he's got pedigree. He's got um, the talent. He's got the chops and he's got the resilience, staying power. He still is rocking it as hard as ever. It's like if you ask an 80s drummer, they're all like Jeff Porcaro. And I'm like, and then I had to get into Jeff Porcaro for a while. I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm getting it. Okay, yes. <laughs> Every Jeff Porcaro doing metal. I'm sure he could. I'm sure he could. Anything. <laughs> he could do anything. Exactly. He did a boatedly beat over a shuffle in Rosanna. Come on, take us all the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Did you hear that? Yes, underscore. All I want to do when I wake up in the morning is to see your eyes. Rosanna, Rosanna! <laughs> there we go. That's the metal version of Rosanna. You've just outdone Andrew Lipper. Oh, this is the best episode ever. Best episode. This is, I, okay, we're, <laughs> we're having too much fun at 4.30 in the afternoon on a Thursday. At least we are. Yes. And I've got <laughs> my six-page review to read, so I'm going to move it along. Again, we did Def Leppard's Pyromania this week because I chose it really at random. Mm. It's a very long review, so I'm going to read it as quickly as possible. Do it. Anyways. When I first chose Def Leppard's Pyromania, it's because I love Die Hard. And this time, I did something new and downloaded Spotify to my phone so I could listen to this beloved classic on the bus. So I hopped on and was immediately met with an STD a slightly timid driver. Taking my seat up the back left corner, I popped in my earbuds and kicked off the opening track. I was instantly transported back to 1983 with an extra venereal disease. This slightly mid-tempo track was fittingly sleazy, but it's not until the hook in the chorus could I hear a bunch of bogans and deros singing along. As photograph filtered in, the bus slowed down at a stop. My eyes immediately glanced one of the deros I can imagine. Uh Uh-oh. The slightly familiar photograph started, and I suddenly turned blank as this guy took his seat on the back row at the opposite window, three seats away from me. My skin turned cold. The music blurred as his arm frantically started waving at me. I popped out an earbud. Do you want to buy some smoke? 
He asks me through corpse-like breath and three teeth. Nah, I'm right. I pop the earbud in as stage fright kicks in. I mean, I'm used to junkies. I just literally don't like being cornered by them. Anyways, as I tried to focus on Joe Elliott's near screeching vocals, my focus came to a screeching halt as the arm covered in ugly, poorly drawn tattoos shot out into my eyeline. I popped the earbud out. Do you do methadone? He asked me loudly with a gummy smile. Nah, man, I don't do drugs. I started to put the earbud in when, oh, well, you look like you do. Jesus H. Christ, that's such a comforting compliment. Not really something you want to say to a stranger. My earbud went back in. His arm waved again. By this point, it's not too late for love. It's too late for escape. What are you listening to? He asked. I wanted to respond with you, apparently. But alas, I was cornered. So I told him to flap it and pop the earbud back in. But alas, he waved at me again. My lips snarled. Die Hard the Hunter had begun, but instead I was dying hard on the inside with a vengeance. What's your name? He asked. Spencer, I said. He put his hand out. I hesitantly shook it. Why is this happening to me? I'm a good person, but karma is getting me really good right now. Well, this is my stop, he said. Oh, what a shame. Maybe you should have stopped 10 minutes ago. But as soon as he got off the bus, I popped both earphones out and sat in silence for the rest of the trip. Zero stars to that idiot. Three and a half stars to the album. And a word to the wise, if I'm wearing earbuds, fuck off. It's not that hard. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. Now you know how all the women feel on the New York subway every day of their lives. I have been a twink. For most of my life, Jonathan, I know how the women on the subway feel. This was weirder than that. This is like he's waving the whole bag of pot in the air in front of me. Wow. And I'm like, dude, this is insane. Go away. It never happened. Well, it's not the first time it's happened to me, but it is the first time. Actually, no, it's not the first time someone said I look like I'm on methadone. What am I supposed to make of that? Am I supposed to say, oh, wow, thank you. I always wanted to be in train spotting. Maybe it's because you. <laughs> You look like a person who is healing. Things are looking up for this guy. Oh. Look at this. This. Person. That's right. You've been the bright spark in his very dark world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he mm-hmm. was all like friendly and happy. And every time I spoke to him, his face lit up. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, just shut the fuck up. Please just leave me alone. Go away from me. But I couldn't say any of that. And anyways, but okay, as for the music, it was pretty much what I was expecting it would be. And I like the sleaziness because I do love that sleaziness. It is catching, pun intended. I just remember a friend of mine once told me, he's like, if you think about it, 80s metal is just like, think of the biggest meatballs you went to high school with. Now imagine they all learned how to do makeup and hair really crazy. They put on fishnets and just started rocking. That's the vibe of 80s metal. Yeah. Can I share something with you guys? Yes. You should be able to. All right. All right. Let me just do this because uh, you may find this interesting. Oh, here we go. And no, I don't know if I can. Oh, yes, I can. I'm going to share this screen. Here we go. See if you recognize this guy. Yeah, Joe Elliott. It says it right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, damn it. Hey. Oh, my goodness. It is a picture of Big with Joe Elliott. Yeah, for those of you who are listening. Yeah, that is. Gr- oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. That was backstage in, in London when I was doing We Will Rock You. And uh, he came in to, uh, yeah, he came in to see the show and met me backstage in my dressing room. So there we go. Him and I, he, he's another guy that probably I'll have in my in my metal band. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I, um, I do think it's funny that 
and the reason why I chose this album was because it has Rock of Ages on it, and you did Rock of Ages. Yes. And I thought it was hilarious that Universal Music were like, oh, so you named your musical Rock of Ages. That must mean you need the song for the show. No. And they didn't give it. And I think that is hilarious because it's like so mean. What are you doing? Just let them have the song for crying out loud. But Schadenfreude, hilarious. That's the thing. When they had the Broadway show, Def Leppard says, no, you can't use any of our songs. No, we're not going to let you have any of the songs. But then when the movie came out and you know, the big money came out, they went, oh, maybe we can let you now use our music. Money. <laughs> it's... Money. Uh Goodness, yeah. I, I did think it was hilarious. Did you guys see the movie of Rock of Ages? I did. I didn't see the point of seeing the movie. I mean, because it's like the whole point is that we're, we're seeing these amazing 80 songs in front of you sung by people with amazing voices. I'm like, if I want to hear them on recordings, why don't I just listen to the original recordings of the people that I love singing? Songs? Yeah, I get that. But Tom Cruise was absolutely brilliant. And I believe you gave him advice before he did that. Oh, wow. Oh, Yes. Double stage jacks. I'm. Dr- uh, what? What's that? Oh my! Am I just name dropping someone here? Who? Oh! You, you, uh, oh! How did that happen? Goodness me! How did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that happened. It's like looking in a mirror. Tom Cruise, you should definitely come on this show. Oh. <laughs> I think he's great. Like he's who we have as movie star. He is a true rock star. Really, really sweet. He, we actually, I was on the the Rock of Ages uh, first national tour, and we were actually in Los Angeles at the Pantages Theater at the time. And it was the first day of rehearsals for the movie. And Tom Cruise was playing my character, Stacey Jacks. So the director, Adam Shankman, took him to see the show after his first day of, you know, the table reading of um, Rock of Ages and in the, you know, in the studio. And so his first experience of Stacey Jacks was watching me. So that's kind of like that where this picture is happening. So I can't say that I influence him on how to play the role, but he was amazing. And he was so giving and I was kind of like, I couldn't believe that I was like seeing Maverick. I was like, you're, you're Jerry Maguire, Maverick, you're, you're that guy. And he kept on just saying, being very deflective and saying, no, no, this is about you. It's like, this is, if I can play Stacey Jacks half as good as you are, and then, then um, I'm, I'm good, you know? And he was very gracious, very, very sweet. He's, he's um, got a lot of credit in my bank, put it that way. He's one of the last true like movie stars. Like, yeah. would it be cool if I jumped off of a cliff on a motorcycle? Would you guys like that? Yeah. You, you, you took the word right out of my mouth. Like, <laughs> honestly, that's what I call commitment. I mean, no, I don't care who you are. No one has commitment like Tom Cruise has commitment to a character. He became an actual vampire for Interview with the Vampire, drank the blood of the young for 2,000 years. Very difficult. He absolutely did. Exactly, he did. He, uh, yeah, that's really hard. Hard to do. That is a joke, Scientology. Uh, so yeah, Pyromania. Back to Pyromania. What I love about Pyromania is that it's first of all, I'm a huge Mutt Lang fan. He's like one of my favorite. Like the the, the Mutt Lang chorus is one of my favorite sort of production things in history. Uh, just making it sound like you've got two thousand Joe Elliott singing all at the same time. Uh, and I think Hysteria may be the best '80s metal album, which is the one right after Pyromania. I feel like this is like this was the setup. You can sort of feel the difference between their like earlier dirtier sleazier rock into the full arena rock 
rock. So this this album's sort of half and half. They still got their little bluesy because they're still getting over the old guitarist. Uh, their drummer still has both arms at this point. Uh, they have not had to strip the groove down just to a simpler point of this. So I think that a lot of these songs like Rock Pages, Photograph, they feel very much like like what we consider like Def Leppard songs. But some of these feel a little ACDC, which makes sense for Mutt Lang. Some of them feel a little Aerosmithy, a little like a little bluesier than we expect for the stomp rock. But we definitely see the seeds of Hysteria. Hysteria had like nine songs on it, but five of them went to number one at some point. Uh, and yeah, so this one had a lot of interesting stuff. And I thought that they showed a lot of versatility sonically, but I don't think they had quite hit their full strides of the band until the that one uh which i think is more of a listenable it's almost it's almost a nose i think for hysteria yeah i i think you hit the, na- the nail on the head when it comes to like those those bluesy like choruses like they come out of left field like you know for example um i'm gonna i'm gonna put out there that stage fright is my favorite song of the album okay because yeah the way it comes in with that chorus it's so different from the verse it's almost like two different writers wrote this you know the song i'll write the chorus you write the verse what about i don't know just write anything and put it together and piece it together and it works but they're so different and they're it just lifts the chorus lifts like it you know don't bore us get to the chorus the, you know the, the verse is just so grungy like like great groove into there like it's just you know four to four kind of thing and then the chorus comes in and lifts it up to the point of like it's just it's i think it's i think it's musical genius i love it it was real good. I think my favorite non-hit on the album, because I think the hits are always going to just have limit, like they're going to have like limited space, unlimited space in your head because you've heard them so much. But my favorite non-hit, I think it might be Too Late for Love because it started kind of like jangly and like like, like westerny, but then it like kicks into like the sort of like Bob Seger turn the page feel. And then it's like, we get like, oh, we get to the chorus. I don't know how the chorus meets those verses. It again, feels like they were sort of written by different people, but I feel like like they come up there and Mutt Lang's like, here's your chorus. But this is, I think, was the first Def Leppard album where Mutt Lang actually got writing credits so i think he was like part of the process like almost a like the sixth member of the band from this point for the next couple albums right yeah. and yeah i just i kind of love when a has a, a statement to make with an album has a vision for a project like this i think this is one of those like classic albums that even made it to the stage of you know um rock of ages that we even talk about it and we couldn't use any songs from it <laughs> We still talk, but still was mentioned and still the title of the show. I mean, that's how iconic this, this album is. That's like in Australia when Channel 9, you might know, remember this, Mig, in I think 94, 95, when Channel 9 started the footy show, but Channel 7 had the rights to all the football. And so they wouldn't let Channel 9 air any highlights or any footage of any of the football so they sort of had to do their own thing and try to make up for that that's sort of what it reminds me of it's like oh you need this thing that we own the rights to no i didn't realize that was a situation is that true yeah that's insane that's insane that's why they had the almost football legends where amateurs sent in their videos because they couldn't (laughs) use any proper afl footage because channel 7 wouldn't let them that is absolutely (laughs) classic australian uh, story right there. Yep. Oh, we can't use any footy footage, so let's make our own. Oh, let's uh, talk about the uh, the Lamingtons at halftime. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so, and it wasn't until Channel 9 got the rights to the football and they shared it with Channel 10. So, so this is way off topic, but it's sort of that same vibe of they needed Rock of Ages for that title to land, for it all to make sense, and they just didn't get it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. I th- uh, one more uh, just Rock of Ages thing. Uh, did you work with Ethan Pop, the music supervisor? At of course, all? yes. Love Ethan Pop. What a, what, a, what a great guy. He was our music supervisor at School of Rock. So it's just like, yeah, what's up? How- wow, that's amazing. Yes, he was. Yes, and he, I think he's... 
He's just done, was it, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire? Is his... Doubtfire, and he's on Back to the Future, which just opened out here. So that's his <sighs> most... But yeah, he's he's on fire. Ethan Pop is ultra. He, yeah, he's en fuego. He's great. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's he really is a, a force of nature. He's he's and he's just a really great guy, really sweet guy, very talented. Mm-hmm. A lot of respect. He's young too. I mean, let's talk about how young he is. He's, he's not. Yeah, him and Vanessa just had their first kid like a year ago. Yeah, and Vanessa's great. She's a costume designer. She's amazing. Yeah, oh, good for him. Very... Now this is just about New York people we know, and it's like, oh my god, how's Vanessa? That's right. I went on about football, which I had no idea about. But anyways, I'm going to move it on because it looks like this was a perfect match. So let's fire up an ad break. No, that didn't. All right, I got another one. I have another one. It looks like we're all burnt out on Def Leppard. So before we get fired, let's grab our Kindle and go for a smoko. Hey! That was it. That was it. That was it. That was it. Coming soon to the Bloop Network from the producers of Thrash and Treasure, Around the World in 80 Plays, starring the adorable Lizzie B and Alfie Parker, and featuring the star of the show, Dolly the Dog, they'll take you for a trip around the UK, exploring the rich arts and cultural history of the UK and Northern Ireland. Episodes begin airing exclusively to the Bloop Network on November 14th, but here is a sneak peek. We're in Edinburgh, Scotland. Scotland! <laughs> Every theatre really has ghosts, but we're in Edinburgh. Edinburgh is known for its spooky ghosts. So why don't you... Yeah, I've you done do? my research, and I might have had an experience of my own. Oh. <laughs> right, so, I am a true believer. Alfie is definitely more sceptical, but I believe in ghosts wholeheartedly. Like, I love watching paranormal programs. We watch a lot of celebrity ghost hunters. I just love it. I just kind of think, like, what's the point in not believing? Yeah, my issue, right, I I want to believe that there is something there. I think ghosts is a nice idea. As long as they're nice ghosts. Yeah, as long as they're not throwing things around. You know, like, no, grab me legs and go, All of that. That's never happened to you, no, has I know, it? No, but you hear stories of them being like, get out of my house, and they're rattling everything and all of that stuff, and it's just a bit... Oh, please. <laughs> right, so anyway, theatre ghosts is like a massive thing. So I'd say probably every theatre in the world has a ghost. Yeah. But with Edinburgh being such a historical place, the Festival Theatre actually has three ghosts. And I had an experience of one of them, which I'll talk about later. Oh, we had a brief experience. I Don't spoil it, OK? Yeah, sorry. Right, I'm going to talk to you about these ghosts. So the first one, the most famous ghost at the Edinburgh Festival Theatre is called the Great Lafayette. Lafayette? Hamilton reference for you. That's not her, is, but he's called the Great Lafayette. One of the most celebrated illusionists of the early 20th century. Do you know what an illusionist is, Alfie? Yes, you know, kind of like disappearing in smoke and you know, swords. and it's like, yeah. It's like a, a branch of magician. Right? Yeah. Thank you. So kind of like Houdini. Yeah. Yes. 
I wouldn't say Houdini, okay. but yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. He was the highest paid entertainer in theatre at the time. When was this? In the early 20th century. Okay. Do you know when that was? When do, do I know when that was? Yeah, what year are we sort of talking there? Early 20th century. 1920 something? Earlier. Earlier, but, okay. Yeah. The 1900s. Yeah, brilliant. Right. Well done. This is going quite well. <laughs> I've got my GCSEs. And apparently he was a very lavish performer. And so that brought the audiences in, which kind of justified that he was getting paid all this money. Right. So spring of 1911, he was performing at the Edinburgh Festival Theatre and he did his finale, which was called The Lion's Bride. And what he did in The Lion's Bride is he would swap places with a lion live on stage. I mean, you are asking for trouble, though. No. See, this is the thing. It's not that that went wrong. Oh, right, okay. So this Lion's Bride thing happened successfully, and then out of nowhere, a lamp fell from the ceiling onto the carpeted stage, and the whole thing set on fire. Oh, my Because obviously gosh. we're talking <laughs> pre-electricity. Yeah, yeah, it would of have course. Been candles. Well, yeah. So fire on stage, whole thing set fire. 11 people perished, including the great Lafayette. The lion? I don't know if the lion perished. The lion probably just went around eating everyone. So, the great Lafayette now haunts the Edinburgh Festival Theatre, and people have said they've seen him shining his diamond rings in the dark. And apparently, people have also heard a piercing lion's roar. Right. Okay, cool. Awesome. Anyways, we're back with Thrash and Treasure. I'm Mr. Aware. That's Mr. J Wags. Oh. And we're mixing it up with the Ferals' arch nemesis, Mig Aesa, or should we call you Mr. M yes. Oh no, Mr. A yes. Yeah, I know I screwed I screwed, completely screwed that up. Anyways, <laughs> now I usually do this with DVDs. But when was the last time you read this? Oh my gosh. Wow. That's you have. Is that a is that an original program of the Rent Production of Australia? Yeah, from the Melbourne Run. Wow! So it would have been like at the Comedy Theatre in nineteen ninety nine. Yep, and mm. I think it was May. I saw it. I got a ticket for my birthday. Oh, amazing! And you guys smacked me the fuck around. I tell you that because I was <laughs> this tormented, tortured, bullied kid, and I, oh, no, I'm going to start crying now. And I, I walked into that theatre knowing this one song and I walked out of there, my life was literally changed because they gave me that confidence to just be me, to just do it, to stop apologising, stop hiding. And I know a lot of people feel that way. So it, it's such an honour having you on. It really is yourself. And I had Gavin Andrew on as well last year. Gavin, we call him Gavinda. Gavin D. Andrew, Gavinda. I do. Oh, I, I wish I had known that. I would have called him that. He's a he's another force of nature, that guy. Yeah, I got to say that doing Rent was a real life changer. And uh, it really was. It was it was like therapy for me. Um, 
I think for everyone, it's just such a moving, beautiful experience. I remember when um, Jonathan Larson's father came actually to see our production. And uh, what touched me more than anything was that he says, um, you are all a bit of Jonathan bringing him back to life. And so as far as you're concerned, you are our children too. Um, and that was because you keep Jonathan alive by doing that. That was just a really, just a simple thing that he said, but we were like, whoa, <laughs> done, finished. What a beautiful man. May he rest in peace too, but he's with Jonathan now. But So much as actors, it's like people are like, oh, that's not a real job. That's not a thing that's important. But then it's like, but there are moments and there are things where it's like art can have that moment where it's just like you are creating, you are, you are invoking a story. Like what is musical theater, but 150 people all showing up in the same place and deciding to tell the same story at the same time. And what a tiny miracle that is every time it happens, let alone eight times a week. Mm -hmm. 100%, 100%. And you know, the, the story is an amazing story. And, and well, when you have something that's worth telling and then you add a music soundtrack as as spectacular as Rent soundtrack, for example, it's the, the emotions that, that are conjured up because of the, that that mixture, that formula. It's, uh, it's very powerful, very powerful. And those people who poo-poo musical theater don't know what it's about. Don't, they, don't, they don't get it. They don't get it. Once you've experienced it in like in a ways that that I've experienced it, like you're a change forever. Well, if we can just tie it for like 20 seconds to, to, to Rockstar in excess, uh, it's just, I mean, there, I think there was always this idea that you were sort of the, like the music theater person. And like, that was like something you had to fight against. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were supposed to be doing a show. Like I thought part <laughs> of the point is that I know how to tell a story and interact with an audience. Who, who, who loves seeing rock shows where guys stand still for two and a half hours and don't look at you? What it's a show people like, why is it considered a bad thing? to have training in being able to hold attention and tell a story. Thank you. I wish you were there. I wish you were there with me, Jonathan, when it was when it was all happening. <laughs> but, <laughs> but dude, they, they, they used that against me and I, I, like, I resented. That was one of the things I resented because I, I thought that was a slap in the face, not only for me, but a slap in the face for every single person who I've worked with in musical theater that you are literally pissing on their uh, craft and their expertise in the whole genre. And that's because yeah. you don't get it. And that's that was unfair. I thought that was really unfair and I'm a bit cruel and uh, and wrong. I just thought you were wrong. So I was like, yeah, I'm the, you know, there was I think there was an article written about me uh, in People magazine at the time. It was like and I was, you know, they had all the, the fight. Like, I think there were five people left in Rockstar in excess and they were had like, you know, the the rebel their country star and i was the showman <laughs> and i was like well Those two fucking yeah fucking yeah, yeah. yes i am but we look at robbie williams considered a showman and then you look at some of the greatest songs out there were story songs it was some mm -hmm. of the greatest musicians wrote story songs american pie for one that's a story song people that's not just a you're not celebrating music dying you're literally listening to a story which brings it back to you you did buddy uh the, the buddy holly story obviously so your your whole career has you've literally just been jumping back and forth between these lines and blurred it completely for the rest of us really you know there's nothing more boring for me than seeing a fantastic vocalist on stage and not deliver you know the what the story is about what the song is about what what's the intent of this what is the message behind the song if you're not selling that to me you may as well just going oh, wow, 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 and be pretty nice like well that goes well for a first five seconds and then you're like kind of bored of it i've seen that you know i i i want someone to give me the whole nuts and bolts it doesn't have to be perfect vocals you just 
give me that emotion. You tell me what the song is about and I'm yours. I'm there 100%. Uh, and just one more quick NXS thing. Well, first of all, your performance of Painted Black, I think might be my favorite version of that song. How did you come up with the arrangement for that? Was that something you've done in the room? It was that something that was just like you in the backing band or was it like, here's your arrangement? It's just, I, I, I go back to that performance occasionally. It's just like, I really love how you handled that. The the options you took up where you departed from the Jagger, the heavy rhythm, like the Dave Navarro doesn't hurt, of course. But like, yeah, that was that performance is the one that always has stuck with me through the years from that show not that they all weren't amazing but like you've just made my day that's that's amazing um because i'm very proud of that arrangement and that's something that i actually came up with are you yeah Dude. yeah oh <laughs> it was it's like how am i gonna because you because you know that song itself you're talking about a story song talking about a brenda and eddie you're talking about you know the day the music died all that long long time ago this was a story about you know this guy who's lost his love it's dark and it's beautiful and it's it's it tells it's so moving and it, it's a movement right so from the beginning of like the you know it's a journey an emotional journey from the beginning of just like loss of grief and that should be grief into anger into you know and that's on the one, in, hitting on the one and then you have to you, oh you just you hit you found the heart oh, yeah i appreciate it but then i but the very end i wanted to bring it back to the the original so we come back into the way that rolling stones had recorded it but i want to bring it up in the octave because it's just more fun that way <laughs> so i appreciate you appreciating that i'm I, yeah and i gotta say working with with paul Merkovich, who is a uh, musical director of of the house band of rockstar in excess who also is the, the musical director for the voice um and the band of the voice here in the us he's a he's a bit of a genius and also had the most amazing musicians in the house band you know um uh you know uh we had uh nate nate on the on the drums um you had sasha on the bass who also were all in the voice um you know and raf on guitar it's just we i couldn't go wrong with those guys I just said let's try this and they went oh you mean like this i went yes exactly <laughs> exactly what you were thinking but way better because it's them like they were them, so good. yeah and then oh. dave navarro said and i'm gonna play with you too i'm like yes this is gonna be awesome this is gonna be so awesome God, fathers, goodness gracious man. To think you started off with the biggest rock stars of all, the Ferals. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Just one more thing on Rent. You all became stars. You look through this, we've got Christine Anu was obviously already a star, but Natalie She was already a star. There you go. Natalie Bassingthwaite. A star. She's a huge star. She's uh, in a band called Rogue Traders, huge yep. in, the, in Australia, and she she's phenomenal. What a talent. And from Neighbours, people would know her as Izzy in Neighbours, uh, Fiona Choi. Fiona Choi's had a brilliant acting career, and she should come on this show. I've literally invited nearly all of these people on the show. Roger Corsa. Roger Corsa, yes. He should come on this show as well. He has just had a phenomenal career. He's huge. Annie Crummer was already Annie Crummer. Annie Crummer's uh, yeah, New Zealand goddess. Yes. Uh, Prinny Stevens. Oh, my gosh. Matthew Lee. He was a judge on our So You Think You Can Dance. Justin Smith. He has had an amazing career. Still killing it. I don't think people realize that this show created so many stars in our industry that it, it, it just doesn't get noticed. So anyways. Amazing. Well, I, I got to also say, um, we, we are, we became so close. Like when I say that doing rent was like therapy, yeah. we have remained really like close friends from the beginning right up till now. And we still have a, a WhatsApp thread 
look, WhatsApp you. thread. The rent, oh, there wow. we go, Rent Australia. And basically, yeah, we just talk to each other almost almost every day. Someone says, oh, guess what I'm doing? Oh, guess what I'm doing? So we are still very close. As a matter of fact, the latest thing, I've got to give a plug to CC Cecilia Lowe, has got just, just produced and directed this thing called Sugar Hope Records, which is uh, something on YouTube. It's a bit of a new series, which yeah. she started, which is just brilliant. Proud of everyone's doing the stuff there. It's just awesome. Yeah, wonderful. And then I believe, was it Clifton died recently? Cliff. Yeah. We lost two members. And Mark. Mark Ford, who played Collins, passed away a couple of years ago. And Cliff just passed away this year. So we lost a couple of angels. If I can pull it off, I want to one day have an Australian original Rent cast reunion on this show. So hopefully. We'll make it happen. Yes, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen, dude. This is the show for it, Thrush and Treasure. But anyways, we're going to move on because we will move on to the musical now because we are running. We've already been going for an hour and 10 minutes. So an hour, shit. Okay. I'm so sorry, Mick. I'm so sorry. Uh, we're going to pick Fame the Musical this week because it's on your resume and we've covered most of your other non-jukebox shows. So the options were very, very thin. So Mr. J-Wags, I'll let you. There's always occasional like rumors in the like performing arts community. It's like the, the joke of Rent Jr. It's like we have these other musicals like Frozen Jr. and Shrek Jr. It's like the, the junior version of the show. Uh, and the joke is like Rent, it must be, what is it? Diabetes? And it's like, well, like well, how are we changing it to do like a high school version of the show? Well, they did it and it's called Fame. It just sort of feels like it, it, it is a musical that, well, first of all, like I grew up with the Fame TV show, and it's one of those things that I have not gone back to look at the Fameography to look at any of this, but it's one of those things where, uh, and this was told to me by the very first time I ever wrote a musical in my 20s, about 20 people in their 20s with their problems, and the producer told me, is just like, those aren't real problems. Uh, <laughs> and now in my 40s, I look back at that show, and I'm like, oh, those weren't problems. Those were like, I thought those were problems, but now as a man in his mid forties, I'm like, I know what problems are. Once you've seen Rent, like, these are problems. These are actual things that change your life. It's just once you've been a performer for about, oh, I think I'm in my 30th year performing now. It's just there, something is like when someone's up just dancing his life and it's the only thing that matters. I'm like, okay, but other things matter. A lot of other things matter. <laughs> so many other things matter. And it's just like, if I don't get this tiny part in this school play, and it's like, I remember where you are, girl. I remember. I remember you. And so as someone who's like been through a lot of that looking back, there is a beautiful nostalgia, not only because I grew up in the 80s and it's this lovely 80s feel, but it feels like what if we put rent and chorus line together and then yes. mormonize so uh i uh for some reason i could not listen to the london version because of racism i listened to the american tour version i was very happy to because i discovered that i actually knew two people on the recording which was kind of fun uh so miss sherman regina lavert uh, i met at a party and we had a lovely time talking when i figured out her name meant the green queen literally uh and then uh, jen gambities played serena who was our second rosaline school of rock so i got to work with her for a while so she's amazing uh equally as good a human being as voice jen gambities uh, hire her for everything she's great human but yeah this show felt it was like for people who are 17 and are just like this is it this is your moment high school should do this show because it is real for them and i'm like yes let this be the moment and it's like figure out what type you are in high school figure it out real quick are you this kid are you the dorky jewish violin kid no are you the fat dancer no you start figuring out what the business is because you get typed directly into this show and all of these characters have at most 1.75 dimensions uh so once you get to that point you're just like oh that's your thing and it's going to go from here to there and then you, you sort of figure out where it's going to go and it gets there 
this recording itself, uh, orchestra sounds great. Uh, the orchestration sounds great. The singers are genuinely good. They're like two performers who it sounds like they just finished a two show day. And it's just like, you needed the day off between this happening. Uh, and it just, it feels like it was a tour recording and it just felt like, hey, like I can tell you're an amazing singer, but like they should have given you the day off before this. Uh, vocal rest, vocal rest, Britain is on. Vocal rest. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you, I mean, Meg, you can tell the difference between someone who's swollen and someone who can like dig into the vocal cords a little bit. You can hear that. Like uh, it, Mariah Carey on the Glitter album does not sound like Mariah Carey on Someday. There's a bit of wear and tear there. You, Mig, we are. I, you're hearing me. I, I, I'm, right. I'm, I'm hearing you. You're preaching to the converted, mate. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like how everyone got their moment in the show. This is a, a show where everyone's going to get to have their moment. But it's a show that I think is better seen than heard because there are these moments where it's like, I'm going to get in. I'm going to get in for like six minutes. And I'm like, I bet that looks great when you're dancing. Like a lot of this show, the dance music, I bet was great. Uh, But you can't see that. But it, in general, I think that it, it feels like a great show for high schoolers to get to more complex shows. This is a a great show for people who are like, oh, what are musicals sort of about? This feels like a musical. Why? Because everything is about musicals. But what I don't like is when this is their only musical and this is what people think theater people are like. Because we we all have this stage or we wouldn't be in it this long, but we outgrow that stage and eventually become pro or you, or you stop doing it. And then essentially in a pro, it's like, all right, this is lovely, but, how, but really, can I get a car? Because that's very early morning for a call. And I really... Yeah. <laughs> We need that in the contract before I can do this. Like, and then like when you're 40, that's a, that's a thing to not take a gig over. But when you're like 18, you're like, I will dig through a trench to get to this audition. That's sort of where it feels. So it feels, it feels so earnest and I love the earnestness behind it, but I would not put it in my top 50 musicals of all time. That was beautifully said. And I feel you with all that without the risk of offending people. And I don't mean to, because I, I did the show in Australia um, after hey. Rent. Yes. I actually left the cast of Rent early <laughs> yes i know i know i know <laughs> peter murphy and i we both got fame the musical and we left rent early which a rent a show which i loved and i i, I would would uh, cry tears of of, of blood every night because I, I I was so emotionally involved in Rent. And then we had to go to uh, to Sydney to start rehearsals for Fame. And the first thing I heard was, pray, 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 I pray on Meg PA. And Peter Murphy and I looked at each other and a little tear came down our eyes. Oh, saying, you poor people. What did we do? Yeah. <laughs> what did we do? What are we doing here? What the hell is this? And it became one of those things, well, we made it happen. We changed, I mean, uh, David Atkins was our director of the show and he he changed a lot of things so much so that David De Silva, who, who was the, they call father of fame, wanted to sue David Atkins for changing. <laughs> so you can't change anything. And we changed a lot of things because we had to, because there was so much that just wasn't working. I played the part of Joe Vegas in the whole beginning of act two, where in the original, it was sort of like a bit of a costume fashion parade kind of thing. Weird thing. I made it kind of like a flamenco kind of thing. A lot of we did with, with Carmen, we sang sort of a Spanish version of fame. And it was the weird thing. It felt like doing fame was kind of like, it was like a, Selling a show with false advertising, a bit of because you think, oh, fame! It's going to have the songs from the show. Yes. Oh, it's going to have fame. It's going to have out, out here on my own. Electric lunch. It's going to have out here on my own. You know, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Why is it? And it doesn't. So you go there. Go. Oh, I bought a ticket. Oh, it's not none of that. And the first thing is, you know, we have some the school teacher saying, "You think this is all about the TV show or about the movie? It's not." And she wasn't wrong. But we did have. 
Thelma Houston playing yes. the school principal. Queen. Don't leave me this way. I can't go on. I mean, the 70s diva Thelma Houston. I adore everything about that woman. And she came in. So working with David Atkins, working with the company that we're working with, it was one of the greatest joys of my life, but not because of the show itself. It was the people that worked around. And we made something really nice out of it. And it ended up being a, a, a good show. I'm sorry for those people who are involved in fame, but you know, that is my two cents worth. But thank you for the experience and um, I'm glad we're moving on. Yeah, Look, they got their money. They've made their millions from it. Let us have our opinions <laughs> today, please, because you're absolutely right. That's what it was. It was a cliche. It was, we're going to do a chorus line, but with the fame tag. And the characters were all stock standard. They, they were exactly what I was expecting. To be honest, I was bored. But when I got to the fame song and saw what they did with it, I was in what? Goodness gracious. Just me. I mean, I, I, it's probably awful, but Irene Cara may live forever. But no, I was rolling around in her grave for her. That was awful. I didn't know. I didn't, why, why would why would you ruin that song of all the songs? The problem was they didn't get the rights the same way that that Rock of, Rock Ages, of Ages didn't get oh. the rights to Def Leppard. The rights were not given to the Fame producers to actually use the song Fame. <laughs> So they were allowed to use one verse and a chorus and the rest had to be completely different. So they changed it and made it in Spanish and changed parts of it. Mm, it was a legal, it was a legal thing. It's funny for Rock of Ages. Not funny here. It's not funny here because they've literally <laughs> like, if that's the case, if you're doing Fame the Musical, but you don't get the songs from Fame, change your fucking title, change the school, <laughs> change the story, do your own thing that's original why are you like, we're doing fame, fame, it's fame, it's fame, not fame. It should be infamous. Infamous, yes. Almost fame. The brand sells the tickets. I mean, like, of course. Shame. I am, I feel very, I just finished up uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. We got to use the songs from the original movie and I was so happy. Only because on Broadway they did, but when they did it in London, it was the same deal. They didn't have those songs in it and people went to see it and they're like, whoa, what are you doing? Where are my songs? Where is Pure Imagination and where is the candy? man can and all that so they added it in for broadway because we live in an age where we're getting these reboots on reboots on reboots and we've talked about it before that it'll be a whole setup of a moment that'll be just like someone will bring out something from the original like it might be the same broom from the original and the audience will go oh my god it's that broom from the original that's where <laughs> we're at you need the things that are iconic to the thing, you don't need the, the little things, but we're getting the little things. That's the problem. We're mm. getting too much of the, look at this. But when you take out like the very few things in it that people love, which are the songs, just change yeah. your title. Do a new show. I'm going to throw in my two my cents worth here as well. Like, I mean, Broadway tickets are have become so expensive mm -hmm. and so like, like the normal Joe Blow won't be able to afford to bring, you know, once he brings his family and they go for, go into, into New York City, they buy they buy dinner, they pay for parking or they pay, you know, whatever, buy the tickets. I mean, that's that's a thousand more than a thousand dollars down the, the, the drain. I mean, that's yeah. an, a very expensive night. And if you go in and you, you want to see Charlie and Chocolate Factory and there's no pure imagination, they go, okay, I can just purely imagine my money just going down the drain. Yeah. At some point, it's just, it, it's contract with the audience. It's like you're paying to see the thing, then that's why you're here. Well, uh, well also, let me, let me say about this, the fame production in Australia, uh, we had Kelly Abbey and she was originally there for as the 
choreographer and she was so good that she became our Carmen, our lead, just purely almost overnight. So it kind of worked out great for all of us that she was able to do that. And she just was, it's, it's how you polish what do you call it, a proverbial turd, whatever. But, you know, yeah. this one was actually worked. It actually worked. It actually worked. The show, I ended up being really fun and uh, really entertaining. And I loved being in it, despite um, the original work. <laughs> what we turned it into. I think we are roughly all of the sort of the same generation of songs sort of growing up. First of all, what songwriters sort of speak to you the most? And what do you see as the biggest difference between the songs you grew up with in the 70s and 80s as to the songs that are sort of getting written now and what is getting sort of distributed now? Are you talking about music theater or talking about in general? Just in general, like if you're recording an album, like would like, uh, is there anyone who's like, like these are the artists now who are speaking to me? Is like, I go a lot to like, I like Diane Warren's 80s songs. I still go back to it. I'm like, gee, she was on a streak there. And it's like every genre, every artist just hit after hit. And they were all like really good story songs, but they also like worked in everyone's voice. Like, yeah. Uh, is there anyone speaking to you now or is it like what's what's changed in your opinion, if anything? Oh, wow. Good question. I mean, there's still some artists that 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 I go, you know what? These are these I, I can I get I get it and I get you as far as far as pure performance value. You know, Bruno Mars can, you know, sing the phone book and it's just phenomenal. Right. And a great writer. Also, I, you know, I, I get Olivia Rodrigo. I got to say, I'm a fan. Olivia Rodrigo, what she, she, she sings to me. I go, I get it. I get what you're saying. And I really love what she does. And she's young and she's like, she's, you know, as far as whether either you, I don't know whether you can be a Swifty or Rodrigo either or, but I'm more a Ro Rodrigo oh. than I am a Swifty. I'll put it out there. I'm neither. So <laughs> as far as musical theater is concerned, when I did Bridges of Madison County, I got to say, I, I always loved Jason Robert Brown, but oh my gosh, that score for me is just a work of art. It's a masterpiece of the way that he uses the, the Americana genre and can, you know, use the, the, the story of the Bridges of Madison County and the book and convert it into this it's it's flawless as far as i'm concerned and uh i still listen to it and i wish that's one show that i wish if i could do a show again it would be the bridges of madison county what a genius genius writer he is yeah to an australian tour and invite me to opening night <laughs> uh like and a million miles to go is one of my favorite jason robert brown pieces it's just it's so good oh my god what a beautiful duet and uh you know not fade away all fades away not fade away. not fade away his uh buddy holly, <laughs> buddy holly and the crickets i love not fade away jason robert brown understands heartache on a very basic level and he, he just gets heartache like that and last five years i'm just like this guy's been through some stuff he he's, and his musicality is just he's he's um he's flawless i just i just anything he does just moves me so yeah uh, now just uh, back on fame i'll throw it in there that the recording that we listened to or that mig and i listened to was the london cast and playing Miss Sherman on that album was Michael Brown, who our regular listeners may recognize is the mother of Sunita, 80s pop oh. queen Sunita, who Michael Brown and Marsha Hines had toured in Hair to Australia. Marsha and Denny stayed in Australia, whereas Sunita and Michael went off to the UK. And so it's all sort of really connected and wow. yeah no i but i only found out the other day and i'm like oh it's michael yay it is queen michael but anyways i'm gonna move it on because it looks like meryl streep so we better graduate to an ad break yes yes that was g'day listeners aaron here 
while you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. Landing with a thud that echoes throughout the whole cottage, Toniston instantly rips off the manky shoes gifted to him by Milford and tosses them into the corner behind a blue barrel. Without a second thought, the bully races down the hallway to the backmost room of the house and leaps behind his uncomfortable makeshift hay bed, then waits, and waits, and then waits some more, until finally, what seems like an eternity later, muffled growls start vibrating through the thin walls of Cubpaw's cottage. He tries to control his breathing, but his heart is racing way too fast. Toniston ducks down further. Nothing should be able to see him, but he can't be sure they won't smell him. The gruff growling grows louder. Toniston presses his ear against the cold, chipped, chalky wall. He thinks he can make out phrases like, Where is it? And, Give us the merge. Though not much else. It's all too mumbled, and he's shaking too much. But it doesn't matter anymore. The front door of the cottage slams open with a harder, louder, cracking thud than it ever had before. A dozen or so stomping footsteps enter. The cottage shakes uncontrollably as if it is as terrified as our friend the bully is. Toniston panics. He's trapped in a corner with a slew of sharks on his trail. He makes a sudden rash decision. Ripping aside the thick animal hide curtain, Toniston leaps through the small oval-shaped window headfirst, landing on a crate filled with hay sitting outside it. Mustering every ounce of manliness he has not to react verbally as he lands with a crunch on the sharp, pin-like hay. It pierces his skin in several places, but thankfully, in his panicked state, the bully becomes numb to the pain. Counting his blessings, but not his chickens, Toniston struggles out of the crate by throwing his legs over and levering himself up, causing the coral underneath his feet to snap. He loses balance and tumbles. To describe the pain of tumbling face-first down a steep hill of hard, sharp, deadly-shaped coral would require far too many swear words than this author would be allowed to publish, so let's just say it hurt a lot. With one last somersault, Toniston's legs fly first over the cliff's edge. Crunch. His left hand grabs hold of the outmost jagged knob of coral. The stocky body of the ten-year-old child sways rapidly back and forth like some sort of death-defying pendulum. He gasps for air, or from shock, not even Toniston can tell. All he knows is above him, a deadly coral cliff and deadlier sharks. Below him, larger, sharper coral under a sea of giant, sharp spikes of natural metal. His head throbbing and vision too blurred with bright red splotches to be able to see clearly for too long. His face is dripping with blood. It runs down his shirt front, tickling him in the process. But all he can do is swing there. It's moments like these that a boy really needs his mum. Unfortunately, while Toniston's life hangs in the balance, on earth his life was dishonestly 
being celebrated by all at Gumbaya Primary School after news of the bully's disappearance had spread like wildfire through the tiny town, then onto the music industry before eventually reaching the wider world. Rock music fans, specifically those of Muzzletop, had flocked to the outskirts of Melbourne, leaving wreaths, band posters, and hand-drawn tributes to honour the missing son of their favourite singer. Although none of them knew the boy, many had seen him standing on the side of the stage of the band's concerts alongside Tina. Also, at the time of his disappearance, hundreds of the world's entertainment media lined the streets outside the school and sadly, outside Tina's house. Wanting any word they could get their greasy hands on, the gossip came in thick and fast as snide, bored neighbours took it upon themselves to speculate and make up stories for their five minutes of fame. Inside the house, the phone ringing 10, 15 times a day from nosy TV stations, hounding the poor, terrified mother, there was no escape. And whilst Tina was never polite in her declination, still they persisted. Call me again and I'll punch you in the nose! she promised. The school's principal, Mr. Patterson, had himself realised how cold and nasty it would look if Toniston Turnbull's former victims didn't at least pretend to mourn his disappearance. And thus, with an added paranoia of becoming a suspect, Mr. Patterson set out to overcompensate with memorials and dedications to the boy who touched all our lives with his love of animals. Mr. Patterson felt satisfied his school's image was intact. The largest memorial from the school came in the form of a service in the gymnasium. With every student, teacher, news reporter and local police in attendance, Mr. Patterson sought to show the world just how much Toniston had meant to the school. The service would have made the bully puke. From the awful school choir butchering his least favourite songs, to the obnoxious releasing of the white doves, Mr. Patterson may have been satisfied his memorial service paid tribute, but Toniston is far too cynical for that. And yet, whilst hundreds of people sat on the cold plastic seats in the Gumbaya Primary School auditorium, not one person in attendance truly knew Toniston when he was around. But all alone, in her large house, the animals all shunned outside, Tina Turnbull sits with her umpteenth glass of wine, ignoring the umpteenth phone call from friends, fans and family, but most sad of all, wondering, for the umpteenth time, what she could have said to her only child to have brought the two of them closer together. A now broken photo of Trent Turnbull and an infant Toniston only hours after his birth sits at her feet under the table. Tina simply doesn't care about the million tiny shards of glass cutting up her feet. She just wants her son back. And as if joined at the soul, while dangling from the lavender-coloured dead coral cliff face, somewhere in his head voice, Tina's cries are heard by the boy. His face scrunches up, but then it relaxes. I can do this. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. We're back with Thrasher Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Jonathan. And we are joined by original Rent Australian star Mig ASR. Now, we've just got a few questions about your hopes and dreams of the future, which I do as quickly as possible. Now, I have to ask about Rockstar in excess because I've spoken to people who have been on Idols and The Voices and The X Factor. And there's a common theme of fakery, basically. Uh, looking back at it now, given that you were already a well-established star, you, you're a performer, you had, you'd had 10, 15, 20 years of a bloody career before you did that show. 
show. Um, at, at the end of the day, though, these shows are cast with people like yourself. Uh, so looking back on it, what's your relationship now in terms of that experience of having to be in that machine of producers telling you, you've got to do this thing, you've got to do that thing, you have to wear that thing. So does it feel dirty or are you? did you feel like you got away scot-free? Yeah, I, I got to say, of all the reality TV shows that I did, I am really happy and blessed that I did that one because... To be honest, I wasn't really too cluey on what reality TV was about. I didn't know what was the thing. Like, you know, for example, we, they were just, uh, uh, we would just be hanging around the house and then suddenly I'd be read. I'd just be reading a book in the corner and suddenly this camera and this sound crew would be like, shh, on me while I'm reading a book. Me, Mr. Showman, I thought I'd do something interesting, right? And so I'd get out and jump in the pool. I mean, is that what you want? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a little weird. So it ended up being like a, a weird thing for me. Like yeah. it, it wasn't It wasn't really like they telling you what to do, whatever. It was more like later on we, when I was watching the edits, I go, oh, that's interesting how they manipulated that to look like that, you know, yeah. which is kind of a uh, an eye opener for me. But, you know, I think there wasn't too much of that as far as I was concerned. The, the, the weird thing was, you know, a lot of stuff that didn't make it to the final, uh, didn't make it to your TV screens, the stuff that I thought would make amazing television, the drama that actually happened on the set, you know, between um, uh, contestants, you know, there wasn't really much drama because we were all very much, again, like you said, we were, had been in the industry for quite a while. We were like, yeah. most of us were like in the mid thirties. We we're kind of like gone past that angst stage. And we were just like, just wanting to see where this show was doing. It was interesting. And we got a chance to hang out with these amazing, uh, talented people. We was more kumbaya than anything. We would get into in the, the mansion at, you know, in the Paramore in, in Los Angeles. And we would just jam all night and just sing and you step the Paramore. You stayed at the Paramore, as in that the beautiful house where they filmed Scream 3 at and Halloween H2O and the TV show Scream 3. I know the Paramore. I've tweeted about it a lot. It's been filmed a lot and it was our set for Rockstar in Excess. We li I lived there for four months, bud. <laughs> Oh, what? Oh, my God. Like, I've broken out in a sweat. Like, that's just, as soon as I heard the words, the Paramore, I'm like, I ate dinner at the country club where they shot High School Musical 2. And that just doesn't measure up anymore. No, no. <laughs> now it's just dinner. It is on the hills of Silver Lake in, in L.A. It was, uh, yep. yeah, it was an interesting place to do, do uh, um, to live, an interesting place to, to, to work. And uh, uh, it was a life-changing experience, put it that way. I loved being in Rockstar in Excess. And, you know, the fact that I just made it to the final was a huge honor for me. Um, I won a car. Uh, I got a green card out of it. Yeah, it was life changing. I'm I'm now living in the United States, and I I, I got a recording deal with Universal. Mm -hmm. I got a chance to then after that, you know, record my album with sixty piece orchestras at you know at, at Abbey Road Studios in London, as well as Capitol Records in LA. It was you know I work with most amazing producers and musicians. It was life changing. I'll never ever regret doing it. Yeah, it was a, a fantastic experience, and we're all pretty still pretty close even to now. All the contestant we're, we we still in touch oh that's good to hear and you were the pride of australia and because you're literally the only australian contestant on the show that was finding a lead singer for the australian band yeah i know and i lost lost to i lost to a canadian i apologize to all of australia for that i'm sorry i couldn't bring the guernsey home i'm really really sorry at least it wasn't an american that's all <laughs>
At least you didn't lose to America. <laughs> uh, I'll take that. I'll take, yeah, I'll take that one. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. Oh, touche. I love America. We know I love America. But since we were talking about Broadway and Broadway prices and such and uh, songwriters, uh, I wanted to get your opinion sort of as a performer and musical theater artist uh, in the, who is also Filipino on Here Lies Love. If you've seen it, what you thought of it and whether or not we should be doing pop musicals based on things that are uh, maybe not pop topics. Interesting question because the subject matter is very controversial. It's about, you know, the the rise and fall of, of Imelda Marcos and Ferdinand Marcos. Marcos, who were dictators in the Philippines, and it's more about you know the the about Imelda and her tumultuous love life, where coming from nothing and actually dating Benino Aquino, who was the opposition leader, who was shot by cronies of her husband Ferdinand Marcos because he was returning from exile. It, it's very dark. Yet, I think he was treated actually with, with lots of dignity and lots of reverence. And the way that they created this show showed, I mean, it was actually quite shocking in a way of, of, of you know, Benino's assassination and things like that. The fact that it is set in a disco is ironic and it's not, it's not, it's hopefully it doesn't like uh, people, the idea of it isn't wasted on people. It's the fact that Imelda had an, her own discotheque in her apartment in New York City with a mirror ball and she's loved to dance and so that's why it was set in a disco because it's in her mind so there's a lot of things that make a lot of sense about it so it's not done frivolously it's a very serious subject treated with that much reverence and i think it's a very clever way of doing it so you know all uh congratulations to the producers and creators um of the, the show i think it's treated very well um, there, you know, I have my opinions about so many other different things about the show, but you know, I, you know, I, I, I think if if a show is done about a certain topic, I'm, I actually started doing a workshop of Helter Skelter. Charles Manson. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which I played the Charles Manson character. We're still in workshop stages, and the music is amazing. How do you deal with the subject though? Because it is very dark and very controversial. We're not glorifying what Charles Manson did or anything about that. Uh, yeah. It's telling a story and how do we tell the story? It's a fine line. And I think the writers have actually realized that and they've gone back and we're, they're rewriting it, restructuring it, reworking it because it's very, you know, very touchy. And I think we have to be very careful of how we treat that subject. Well, the, the thing I love most about Here Lies Love, I was in the, in the dance pit when I saw it. Oh no, you weren't dancing, were you? Oh, yes, I was dancing. White boys dancing. No, thank you. Sorry. They, the DJ told me to jump and I did. Uh, but it's the idea because I know like I'm I'm an Irish boy. So it's like this is not my story to hear. But it was like the thing I got from it was the idea that fame and power is sexy. And depending on what side you're of the coin you are on, it is very easy to be pulled both towards dictatorship and towards freedom because both of those are things that are very sexy and easy to get swept up in the group. And when you're literally swept up in a group down on the dance floor, it becomes in, uh, you sort of have to just decide whether you're going with it or not. And I'm just like, screw it we're going with it and i found it incredibly powerful for that reason but like I, I can see why people who maybe didn't want to just dive into the concept of it are like well you're treating it lightly and i'm like but for me i feel like i, I didn't feel like they played it for jokes i felt like they were trying to honor the history but yeah it's it's uh if i can go back in the week and a half we have left of the show i think i will because it was such a fascinating piece I think I think it's very cleverly done, and uh, th there are a lot of stuff that maybe people miss the point about. Um, but 
uh, as a, someone who was very, very interested in the subject matter, because my cousins were actually in the People's Power Revolution in 1986, walking EDSA. They were all there. They were there. We were, I know this subject matter like the back of my hand, and um, it's, it means a lot to me that they treated with such reverence. And, I, and I, I think they did a fantastic job. Amazing cast, by the way, all Filipino cast. Go Pinoys. I think it's amazing. Yeah. Now, isn't it funny that we were more offended by Fame, the musical, because it was done in <laughs> such an unironic way that it was insulting to us all? That's hilarious. It was the lyric of like, it, the guillotine would chop your neck off and then they rhymed it with Chekhov. That was what offended me about Fame. <laughs> that was the moment I'm like, what is that? Someone looked at that and said, put that on stage. Put money behind this on it. That needs to be told. Don't change a thing. Uh, but yes, yeah. one other thing I did want to ask. Uh, uh, as a person whose voice has aged unbelievably well, uh, what? and as a person who's personally been through three major vocal surgeries, uh, not surgeries, but injuries, uh, how? what is your advice to young vocal tenors, uh, rock tenors? How do you keep your voice for eight shows a week? How do you do it? Wow. Um, good question. I've, I've had my fair share of losing my voice and, you know, pharyngitis and, you know, my prednisone prescriptions and and voice massage, vocal massage, and all that kind of stuff. So I've, I know what it's like, the pitfalls and the, the wear and tear of your vocals cause doing eight shows a week. It's tough, um, especially doing rock shows, eight shows a week. It's it's uh, considerably uh, taxing on your voice. Um, you just got to, you know, like it's a muscle. You If it's, you're injured, you let it rest and you have to warm up. It's like warming up for me has been the game changer. It really, really has. Um, and getting some, some, some vocal um, uh, tutorage. Uh, tutelage, tutelage. Oh my God, I can't even speak today. Tutelage, tutelage, It sounds wrong. Tutelage, tutelage. Um, but uh, because maybe you just got some bad habits. Get out of your bad habits, and um, you know I, I worked with Derek Rosenblatt for a while. He's an amazing um, vocal coach uh, here in New York, and got me through a lot of stuff. Um, but I'm continually just constantly just knowing when you can step on the gas and when you you can actually just cruise, put in neutral for a little bit. Those moments are there in the show, and it, and what's really cool is if you map that out, if you know that this time I can I really need to give it you know ten nil. Other times I can ease off in the throttle, and that'll save you. Finding a happy fourth gear, as it were. <laughs> happy fourth gear, there we go. Now, Rent seems to be the first musical that gained a massive obsessive audience right from the get-go. When you look at Rocky Horror, that had a build-up. It was years of midnight screenings and stuff to have a build-up. Whereas Rent, straight away, these kids were lining up around New York, around the block to get tickets to this. Since then, we've had many shows and a lot of reality shows and a lot of things that have gained a very loud, obsessive following. But does it ever feel like it's not as lasting? It's like Dear Evan Hansen comes about, wow, it's the most amazing thing, yay! And then five years later, no one gives a shit. Even Hamilton sort of went up and then straight down as soon as that movie or movie, filmed version came out. It's not a movie. Yeah, it's a film performance. It's like... Yeah, but they called it a movie to get nominated for an Oscar. Fuck off. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Lin-Manuel, but no, no, that's not how it works. You know, I, good question. What is it about Rent? I think the story, maybe it could be the story behind the story. I mean, because if you know the story behind the story, there's so much heart to it. Yeah. 
you know, Jonathan Larson, if it, you know, what, what he stood for and what he did and his, uh, his struggle to get this show going and it finally got there and then he passed away. Never saw it to come to fruition. It's like the tragedy beyond tragedy. It's like, you can't write that stuff. You cannot write that mm. stuff and it breaks your heart, but it's, that's what legends are made of. That's what, that's what these, um, stories are, will resonate forever and ever. You tell that story and that's a fairy tale, you know, it's, uh, and I don't, and it's just beautifully done. Like you know, he's, it's a masterpiece. There's, there's so Songs on that show, um, it has so much heart, so much humor, so much emotion, so much uh, genius to it, and also the, the arrangements and, and the way it's staged. I don't know. It's just one of those perfect formulas that came from. So there's not one thing you can say about it, but also just the story behind the story. And I think also, you know, the, the producers did such a wonderful job in in the way that they they continue the legacy of Rent by giving yeah. people anyone who had a chance. You can audition. You have, you know, your 30, 30 seconds to a minute to show us you can do it. You just got to line up. And so it, it added that whole sense of uh, uh, mystique around it that anyone could have a shot at, at the chance of fame. Pardon yeah. the pun. No, but when you look at Wicked today, right, I don't think Ren Heads were ever standing outside the theatre going, you weren't as good as the last Maureen I saw. But Wicked fans are doing that with their Alphabas and their Galindas. Ren Heads, we were always so respectful and loved every minute of what they gave us on the stage. So I think it's a big difference where we've come. I think I hung out with more negative people than you did. But to the performers, to the performers themselves, I don't, I've never heard any rent person say that they had a bad stage experience, a stage door experience, because there's so much love. Well, I, I don't know about the uh, the uh, the American rent heads. I'm sure they would have been the same because the Australian rent heads, rent heads, amazing. They were so devoted to the show and they yeah. felt everything. And same with the, the British. I, I did rent in, in London as well. And the British redheads would just be, just, they got it. They understood what it was about. And it was all about measure, measure, measure your life in love. And they, they lived it. Yeah. Here to have a modern show that has almost no irony to it. Like it has to be done perfectly, sincerely with a huge heart. And, yeah. and it's like, cause it's modern, but like the, also it has to be meta. We have to have a distant. It's like, no, this story is all about, you have to get like right from the beginning. It's like, we're zooming in literally with the camera. Like yeah. we're zooming on everyone's light in their heart. And if uh, like that show just soars, it soars if it's perfectly sincere. And like the, some of the moments like Mimi's bridge in another day is one of my favorite pieces of, of music ever written. Just the heart may freeze or it may burn. That part, like, oh. Yeah. And then it goes oh. into the crowd. Oh, God, so beautiful. Uh, I got to say also, whenever I hear without you, you know, don't, you know, oh, just just thinking about it now. I mean, it's just, whew, goosebumps. Uh, how, how often does that happen in, in, a, in a show? Like, you know, you live it. You, once you do it and live it, it never leaves you and it becomes a part of your soul. Yeah. Okay, well, it's one normal everyday thing that everyone else seems to be able to do perfectly fine, but you fail miserably at, and you too, Jonah. <laughs> okay. What's one thing that, oh, like uh, uh, pay taxes and on time? <laughs> we'll cut that out. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> no, I pay taxes, but they're always late, so I get okay, fined, yep. and I get I, I pay more taxes than anybody because I always get fined because they're, yeah. they're late. <laughs> so you think I you think over now I get that? Get, you, I'd know. I'd learn. Just get it in, but yep. uh, early. The taxes I'm talking about. Um, so just 
do it. But obviously, I yeah. just can't seem to get my act together in time. Yeah. What about you, Jonathan? Aaron, I think you know this one. It's scheduling. It's like if I'm on, if there is one email that I have to check, I will check that email and I will get it. But it's like sometimes like I will let nine emails go and things just keep going. And now I've got a work email that I'm supposed to check now. And now I have to like get in the habit of doing so it, I, I went full corporate on this job. Like Second City is run by a hedge fund now. And it's like, I got an onboarding thing. I have to like, like all my tax info is going to be on PDF now. Like I'm going to get a real accountant. Everything's coming up Mailhouse for 2020 guys is all I'm saying. Yeah, I've, I've had to be brought up into the uh, the grown up world, dragged up screaming by, you know, dragged by my hair. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in that situation too. So anyway. Yeah. Oh, for me, it's shaving in front of a mirror. If I sh- if I'm looking at myself in a mirror, I am going to slit my throat accidentally. But if I'm in the shower, not looking in a mirror, I can feel and shave and feel and shave perfectly. You got feeling. It's all about emotion, mate. Yeah. It's it's also I don't want to have to look at my ugly face for ten minutes while I'm fucking shaving. That's distracting. So I do. I'm like I'll I'll notice something and I'll like. <laughs> slit my throat and i like literally have a cut down my throat and people will say to me what did you get attacked i'm like no i tried to shave my face while looking at it just like have a story ready it's like yeah with the high seas i am far too (laughs) honest for that anyways so you clearly have done so much work on the road uh Mm -hmm. and i like i I have done less so and like this this year was one a bad one for me i spent eight of this year's months of the ten and a half we've had on the road how do you find normalcy on the road how do you make wherever you are just a little bit of home it's about as soon as you get to a new place a new hotel or whatever it is you make yourself you unpack unpack put things in drawers get out of the take it out of the suitcase put it up set up your i always bring a keyboard and a computer and a little portable recording little setup set it up all right it's you then suddenly it's home and suddenly it's home and then uh every morning you just uh i do this regular thing is just get up and jog and from that point on i feel like i could be anywhere i could be anywhere because i've done my routine i come home and my socks socks are in the drawer (laughs) you know it's a small thing but yeah it keeps that uh, that normalcy. Well, speak of unnormalcy, if you were stuck in quarantine with any of the ferals, who would you most like it to be? I would be with Keith the koala. Yeah, awesome. Keith the koala because he's you know he shares his gummies with you. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little, he's a bit cuddly and he's a bit forgetful and he likes to sleep a lot. So he and I will get on fine. <laughs> J-Wags, who would you share one with? Uh, oh God, like, I mean, I would end, like, it just on brand for me would probably be I'd end up with the cat. But that just like, that's who I'd end up with. Muglia- Mugliana. Oh, there'd be a lot of drama, a lot of drama. M- Modigliana. No, it's like Modigliani, the artist. But like, I, I keep thinking Modigliani, Modigliani. exactly. Yeah, no, that would be, uh, oh, that would be too much drama, sexy boy. Yeah, I, I, I used to be able to do Darren's voice, but it, it's like when I do my New York accent in front of Spencer, I can't do my New York accent in front of Spencer, but I can do an Italian accent. Like suddenly I'm fucking Mario when I'm trying to be like, <laughs> hey, I'm walking here. That wasn't good. That was not good. Let's move on very, very quickly. It re- it's the red light fever. Yeah, it is. That's that's what it is. Um. Anyways, I see kids TV has always been twisted, as we mentioned before. Today, it feels soft and uh, softened a bit. So when was the last time you called someone a dimwit and smacked them over the head with a frying pan? What time is it now? Um, <laughs> 10 a.m. in Australia. But six hours ago. Yeah. More seriously, does it feel like that's the case? Like to just kids TV in general is being gentrified. 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know. See, I, don't, I, just, I think the blurred line is really more on what is considered children's TV because a lot of cartoons that are out there not for, meant for children, you know. So, like, for example, you're talking about American Dad, right? You're talking about even The Simpsons. The Simpsons is not really for kids. Come on. And they don't pull any punches. They they go hardcore, right? So South Park, not really for kids, right? Never was. <laughs> never was, but never stopped us. We'd watch it anyways and go to primary school the next day. Whereas the fer- the ferals was meant for kids, and we yes. just you know we farted and we we vomited and we hit each other and we called each other you and stupid you know profanities and you cheated on a test and that well the ferals did and there was no repercussions that cheating is bad. I watched that episode recently like oh cheating is good is it awesome? They actually kidnapped Santa Claus to yeah. get his sack of goodies. <laughs> I mean that was a whole episode. I mean. That was children's television. That's what I call hardcore guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you ever see Round the Twist, Jonathan? No, no, I had nothing. Round the Twist was great. It was. It's very much like that. That it would be sort of gross or it'd be like over the top and silly and, and irreverent. It was, you sort of think now, I, I can't imagine that. Weirdest thing we had growing up was Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy was kind of wow. out there. and Like I could not wow. believe some of that stuff got on kids TV looking back on it now. Like, wow mind control helmets like just like there was some really dark stuff going on in the ren and stimpy show ren and stimpy itchy and scratchy that that stuff was that was twisted and pinky in the brain pinky Pinky in the the brain 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 brain. i love that but anyways that's it we've made it to the end (laughs) it's been a long one i'm so sorry thank you so much it is truly it is such an honor as i say you guys in that production of rent you gave me the confidence i needed to get through every day after that and i've listened to that album obviously it's not you guys on the album but i have had an original cast member freddie walker brown who played joanne in the original on this show and it was actually posted i think the morning that al larson died and betty white died and i'm like posting this rent episode on new year's day and i'm like sitting there bawling my eyes i'm like how did i get here that's how i got here was by seeing rent being smacked around and not being afraid to stand up and do what i need to do i'll tell you something aaron it's uh i'm that absolutely is the reason why we do what we do isn't it and we can touch and move people and inspire people we get inspired by the people we work with mm-hmm. and we get inspired with, with what other people do and we just hope that we can do the same thing so to hear that you are also inspiring other people to follow their dreams and do what what they want to do and be who they are so you know it all they're paying it well by paying it forward and yep, um exactly um I'm thrilled to be here and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Lovely talking to you and Jonathan and I are going to get together in New York and we're going to have a dinner, coffee, latte, tequila, margarita, whatever. Bring it on. I want all the photos and videos of you singing together. I want videos of you two singing together because, oh my God, done. We're going to crash a, we're going to crash a, we're going to crash one of the the dueling that has well greens. Oh my gosh! Dewey done, Finn done. and Stacy Jacks. Dewey Finn and Stacy Jacks. We, we have to get some sort of YouTube video or performance or something like that. Like goodness gracious me! It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Be- little thing called Love Mashup, and it'll be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get all my school of rock kids to play backup. It'll be great. They're yeah. in college now. Oh, Both they cheap. are. Oh, God. They're all growing up, aren't they? So weird. They grow up so fast. They grow up so fast. I know. They're all adults now. Just, yeah. yeah it's, it. 
speaking of growing up so far, it's like, that's what I say. Like, this was 20 years ago, Mick. And you guys, none of you have changed, mind you, because you all look fucking young, don't you? Still today, but goodness gracious me. Yeah. That was 30 years ago. Uh, almost 30 years ago. Oh, my God. Alrighty, we didn't get a chance to do socials because we were running way over time. But anyways, a huge, huge thank you to MIG ASR. What a thrill. What an amazing episode. We had so much fun. And thank you to Jonathan as well, my co-host, for joining me as usual. We will be back next month with new episodes and some more amazing guests. You can find all our socials, including MIG at MIG ASR on Instagram. Uh, I'm not sure on Twitter, but I'll put all the details below in the description, so check that. Buy the Toniston Tales, read the Toniston Tales, check out our other shows on the Bloop Network, including Around the World in 80 Plays, hosted by Lizzie B and Alfie Parker, and produced by me and Spencer. Anyways, that's it from us. You take care, thanks for listening, and we shall see you next time. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Lovely. Thanks so much for coming on. This has been great. Been fun. Take it easy. Like Quicksand!